Morning, everyone. Thank you, Brian, for leading us this morning. I have two questions just at the very start, and they're these, and they're familiar questions, and I've asked them before, but the two questions are these. How is your worship, and how is your heart? How is your worship, and how is your heart? In terms of worship, who or what is the kind of primary focus of, of your worship at the moment? And in terms of your heart, is, is it fully devoted to God, or is it potentially divided in any way? If you have a, a Bible, please turn with me or a, on a device to 1 Kings chapter 18, and, and we're going to pick up from where we left off last Sunday morning, where Obadiah, who is my new unsung hero of scripture. If, if you weren't here last week and you know nothing about Obadiah from 1 Kings 18, then talk to somebody who was here last week. But last week, we just celebrated this person that I think very few people know anything about. But Obadiah has set up a meeting between King Ahab, who is his boss, and the prophet Elijah. Now, the last time that these two men met was three years ago. And at that point, Elijah had told Ahab the king that there's going to be no rain in the land until he says so. And then Elijah disappeared for 36 months. And Ahab the king had been looking for him ever since. And the reason is obvious because this drought that Elijah predicted had come true and it was truly dreadful. But now, thanks to Obadiah, who was Ahab's right-hand man, he was his palace administrator, his chief of staff, his top civil servant. Thanks to Obadiah, the long-anticipated meeting between his boss Ahab and the prophet Elijah is about to happen. So have a look at verse 16. It's on the screen there. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, told him what? Told him that he had found Elijah, who had disappeared for 36 months, and then the rest of that verse says, and Ahab finally goes to meet Elijah. So this is going to be an interesting meeting. 1 Kings 18 is probably best known for the battle of the gods that takes place on Mount Carmel. The confrontation between Ahab's God, who's called Baal, and Elijah's God, who's called Yahweh, or the Lord. They're going to discover who is the real God. But before the showdown, there appears to be the standard pre-fight name-calling and finger-pointing. Do you know the kind that you come to expect before big boxing contests? And so Ahab walks straight up to Elijah, and he points the finger at him, and he calls him troubler of Israel. It's the first thing he says to him after 36 months. He looks him in the face and he says, is that you? You troubler of Israel. And okay, given that it was the prophet's first visit to the king three years previous that had started all this trouble, that's a fair enough accusation. That's a fair enough label to use. Ahab clearly blames the prophet Elijah for everything that has happened in these past 36 months. But Elijah immediately comes back at him. He says, I'm not the troubler, Ahab. 
You are. The blame game is on. Luke at verse 18. It's on the screen again. I have not troubled Israel, says Elijah, but you have. And your father's house have. And here's why. Second half of verse 18. Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord. And Ahab, you have followed the Baals. See all the reason for this mess? The reason for this horrible drought, the reason for this punishment, it's not me, Ahab, it's you. And specifically, Ahab, it's your sin, and it's your idolatry, and it's your decision to abandon God's ways, and it's not only yours, but it's also your father's. Having a go at someone's dad, that's real fight and talk, isn't it? You see, Ahab has wanted to shift the blame. He's wanted to point the finger at Elijah and at Elijah's God. But you cannot do that whenever you choose to break every commandment in the book and choose to live life your own way. You can't shake your fist at God for all the trouble and misery there is in the world, in your world, and yet refuse to face up to your own sin. You just cannot do that, despite how reasonable that seems and fair that seems. Elijah was challenging Ahab here and says, Ahab, listen, it's your fault. It's because of you, because of your sin, because of your idolatry, because of your decision to abandon God and his ways that we're in this mess. You see, there are consequences with sin, as Brian has reminded us this morning. And there are repercussions for disregarding God and his words and his ways. And we choose to ignore the consequences and the repercussions at our peril. As we're about to find out. So we'll go back to the text. And as far as Elijah is concerned, it's time to bring this blame game to an end. It's time for the talking to stop. It's time now to discover, well, let's see who is the real deal. Who is the true God? And so Elijah says to Ahab, Ahab, I tell you what, why don't you summon all the people to a particular venue, Mount Carmel? And there, everyone is going to witness an encounter between me and 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. They're going to witness an encounter between my God and all your gods. And given the outrageous odds, 850 to 1. So this is going to be intriguing. Ahab obliges, and he assembles, it says, everyone, and they're all there, all the people, We've no idea exactly how many. Thousands. And all the prophets. I think it says 450 of Baal, 400 of Asherah. And there's Elijah. And then Elijah steps forward. And he speaks. Or he asks a question. And it's this question that Elijah asks that is at the center of this entire episode. It is this question that literally ignites this whole episode. And if you have a hard copy of God's Word in front of you, can I urge you to underline? I know, I know somebody came to me last week after the service and said, you know something? I have got verse 21 of 1 Kings 18 underlined in my Bible. If you have a copy of God's Word in front of you, underline this verse. 
Because right here and right now, we get to the heart of the matter, which is what? Matter of the heart. I am predictable and I am boring, I know. But here is the question. Verse 21, it says, Elijah went before the people and said this, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. This is a critical question. This is a personal question. This is a timeless question. This is a heart question. And for now, the spotlight, notice, please notice, for now, the spotlight is on the people. Ahab isn't mentioned for the next 20 verses. The drought fades into the background, won't be referred to for some time, because now the real issue has come to the fore. People of Israel, who is your God? Who is it that you worship? What is it that you worship? Because this is the fundamental issue. For years, the people had been mixing it up, increasingly mixing it up. They hadn't completely jettisoned God, but their worship had become incredibly diluted. And so they reckoned or they imagined, you know what we can do? We can worship God and we can worship Baal. And so the heart-searching question is asked, how long are you going to waver between two opinions, or in the ESV, if you use that particular translation, how long are you going to go on limping between two different opinions? Or if you have a copy of the message in front of you, how long are you going to sit on the fence? Where it's kind of God and. God and. And, and the problem is, you can't do that because the greatest commandment is explicit. You've got to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. I mean, 85% is good, but it's not enough. You've got to love God with 100% with your entire being, with every fiber of your being. There is no room for divided loyalties. There is no room for divided worship. You've got to worship and serve God only. And you see, when you backtrack in this story, and you go back, for those who have been tracking this series, if you backtrack in this story to 1 Kings chapter 11, back to the third king of Israel, the wisest king, in fact, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, here is the very thing that led to that king's downfall. Here is the reason that king finished awfully despite having started so well. It was what? It was a divided heart. It was a divided heart. And so God's word makes it really clear that Solomon's heart was turned away from God. Yes, at one point it had been fully devoted to God, but now 1 Kings 11 verse 4 says, Solomon, your heart is no longer fully devoted, partially devoted, 85% devoted. It's not enough. Fully devoted. And you can't live with a divided heart. Well, you can, actually. Solomon did. By 1 Kings 18, the people are doing that. And I know I've done it, and I do it far too easily. 
It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's either or. Can't be both and. I can't live with a divided heart. I can't say, God, 75%, 25%, I'm going to use that to worship, serve other gods, whatever those happen to be. For the Israelites, the both and was God and Baal. And on Mount Carmel, Elijah challenges this, if you like, polytheistic outlook, this idea that you can have and worship a number of gods. And Elijah presents him with what is a necessary either or option. It's time to decide. It's time to get off the fence. It's time to stop wavering. And for us, whatever number of years it is later, the challenge and the issue remains the same because the heart of the matter is still the matter of the heart. And Baal isn't vying for your affection and isn't vying for my affection, but any number of small g gods and idols are. I can easily put other things and other interests and other people before God. Easily. And if I'm not careful, my heart starts to waver. And it starts to divide. And therefore, Elijah's question is timeless. Remains relevant to us in 2019 because it forces me, it challenges me to ask the question, do I worship God? Have I been worshiping God this morning with all of my heart? Or is there parts of my heart that veer towards other gods. And so Elijah issues an ultimatum. It's still part of the big question. It kind of solidifies the either or demands of true worship. If the Lord is, be- is God, worship him. But I tell you what, see if Baal is God, by all means worship him. See, if the Lord is who he says he is, if God really is God, then he deserves, he's worthy, and he demands wholehearted, undivided, complete allegiance. And so this is one of these questions that has massive implications for us in every single human being, because if the Lord is God, then it's really simple, follow him. If the Lord really is God, give him your whole life. As someone has put it, theology leads to discipleship. If you believe in God, if you have discovered that the Lord is God, then honor, worship, and serve him only. It's not a neutral question. You can't kind of take it or leave it. It's not a simply theoretical or academic question where you determine, you decide the right answer. Okay, maybe God is God, so I've discovered that. Let's leave it at that. You can't leave it at that. If you discover that the Lord is God, then it follows that you follow him 100%. You surrender your life to him. As someone has said, the existence of the real God, it's not a detached, but it's a demanding matter. If God really does exist, if the Lord is God, you can't then just go out good. I've discovered that. I believe that. It's not enough. If the Lord is God, says Elijah, follow him. Surrender your life to him. You know, it's why this particular writer goes on to say, atheists may be smarter than they think because, or we think they smell the implications. You see, if you don't believe there's a God, then you don't have to bother with the demands. If you don't believe there's a God, you don't have to bother with the demands, for now at least. But if you do believe there is a God, 
then you've got to follow him with every fiber of your being. On the other hand, alternatively, if you think Baal is God, if you think money is God, if you think your image is God, if you think material possessions are God, if you think that particular interest is God, then do you know what? Follow that. But it's either or. Don't do the both and. So what's my answer? What's our answer this morning? Are we going to follow God exclusively? Or are we going to follow another God exclusively? Or are we going to go for the combination? Well, let's look at how the people responded because this is fascinating. So Elijah stood in front of them and stood in front of all these prophets. He's asked this question. Last sentence of verse 21. How do the people respond? They say nothing. Silence. But silence says everything. They're not prepared to make the choice that Elijah said is necessary. This either or option excludes the one they have embraced, the God and, the both and. They like the idea of half-hearted worship. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. God for certain aspects of life, but not God for all aspects of life. God on this day of the week, but not on that day of the week. God as Savior, yep, but not God as Lord. And so they don't reply. Just go silent. Because they don't want to choose. And I want to suggest it's exactly like so many people today who like the idea of lots of gods, who like the idea of tolerance, who like the idea of each to your own, who like the idea of not being forced to make a choice, of not being forced to decide there's only one way. No, let's leave all the options open. This idea, if the Lord is God, follow him, and if Baal is God, follow him, is far too restrictive. It means I've got to make a definite choice. I've got to make a definitive choice. And then once I make that definite choice, I've got to surrender my total allegiance. allegiance. And, and let's be honest, fewer and fewer people are up for that today. Well, Elijah... And these people certainly weren't on Mount Carmel. They weren't, they weren't up for that kind of decision-making. The fence was a much better place to sit. And so Elijah, whose name means my God is Yahweh. So Elijah's clear. Elijah has made his choice. Well, Elijah's not prepared to leave it at that. He's not prepared to entertain the silence. And so he decides, I'm going to force your hand, folks. I'm going to force your hand. And so it's time for the showdown. It's time for this epic and extraordinary experiment to decide once and for all whose God is the real God? Who is the worthy of wholehearted worship God? Let's discover this once and for all. Here's the plan. Verse 23. Let's stand for the public reading of God's word. So Elijah says, the words are on the screen. Elijah says, look, tell you what, let's get, get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. So he's not wanting to put himself at any advantage. It's their call, their first choice of the bulls. 
Let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but don't set fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull, and I'll put it on the wood, and I'll not set fire to it. And then you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of my God. And the God who answers by fire, that's the God. And all the people said, Elijah, good idea. What you say is good. Grab a seat. So, this, this seems like a fair contest. And so everything is set up, it says, and Elijah lets the people and the prophets go first. And so from morning to noon, for hours upon hours, they call in the name of, the Lord, of their God. They call in the name of Baal. And they cry out to Baal, answer us, answer us. But the middle of verse 26 says, there was no response. No one answered. Not answering is catching. First, the people didn't answer Elijah. Now Baal doesn't answer the prophets. The people had heard Elijah's question and they didn't respond. But the question now is, did Baal hear? Can Baal hear? And is he not answering because he simply isn't there? It's a grim possibility that the God you are worshiping isn't actually real. And at this point, after hours of shouting and dancing, we read in verse 27 that Elijah mocks them. He taunts them. He wonders if Baal has nipped off to the loo. Now, this is, this is scripture, by the way, before anybody jumps up. and He wonders if Baal has nipped off to the loo or has gone for a doze. Let's listen to what it says. And this is what it says in God's word. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself. Or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep, and he must be. Do you know, that's not very PC, sure it's not. In a let's be tolerant of all religions context. I'm not sure Elijah would get away with that today. In our inclusive society. But the prophets, they, they actually take up Elijah's advice and they, they do cry louder and they turn up the volume. Plus to show how serious they are, it says they start to cut themselves until they bleed profusely. You see, it would seem that they will do anything to get their God's attention. And this goes on for more hours and hours until evening. Verse 29, no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And it is tragic, but it seems that when it really mattered, when the stakes were so high, a lesser God has nothing to say. A lesser God has nothing to offer. So it's Elijah's turn. And he calls the people to come near him. And then we confront us her praise. Verse 30. Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. So at some point in the past, there had been an altar of the Lord on this mountain. At some point in the past, the people had exclusively worshipped God and God alone, but not anymore. The altars come down. It's reduced to rubble. It's no longer in use. And so Elijah repairs it, 
and he sets wood on it, and he sets the bull on it, and then he drenches the whole thing, it says, three times in water, just to up the ante and to intensify the challenge. And then he calls on the name of his God. Verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back to you because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. It's all about bringing people back to God. The one true God. It's all about hearts reconnecting with the God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel. And notice what Elijah says. God, I have done all these crazy things at your command. I didn't make up this experiment. You told me to do this. This was your idea. This was your initiative. It's your plan. It's your grace in pursuing people and realigning hearts. And as Elijah asks God to answer him, and this is going to be really interesting because up to now, no one's been answering anyone. But all of a sudden, the answer comes. You see, this, this encounter in Carmel, sometimes we think, is, is, was this to discover which God was more powerful? Well, not really. This was to discover which God actually hears, which God listens which God is attentive to the cries and the prayers of his people? That's what this is about. And immediately, as Elijah finishes praying, we read, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. It must have been spectacular. It must have been breathtaking, but not half as extraordinary and special as the scene that followed, because all of a sudden, the minute this happened, it says, the people hit the floor. They're prostrate before God, and they declare, the Lord, not once, but twice, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. There's no more silence. There's no more indecision. There's no more wavering. There's no more fence sitting. There's no more both and. It's the Lord, He is God. And reality dawns and true worship is resumed and lives are changed. But it's not the end of the story, and this is where it does get serious, and this is where it gets sobering, and this is where it gets severe, and this is where it gets uncomfortable. And for many of us, we wish it would kind of stop at that point, and the story just moved on, but it doesn't stop at that point, because at this point we read, then Elijah commanded, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them. And Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered. And that does upset. And it seems so harsh. 
but it communicates an important point, and the important point is this. You choose to do your own thing. You choose to go your own way. You choose to turn your back on God and pursue other gods. You choose to live a life of compromised worship, and you know what? There are eternal consequences to face. There will be judgment, and we know this. It's appointed onto every single one of us in this room to die once and then to face judgment. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal or any other thing or idol is God, then follow him. That's fine. But please be aware. Please be clear. Your choice has profound implications for life now and life for all eternity. And then the question is, but, but, but what about the drought? And anyway, where did they get the water to drench that thing three times? But let's not go there. What about the drought? Well, let's recall the reason for the drought. The reason for the drought was because Ahab and all the people had turned away from the Lord who is God and had turned to Baal who isn't God. The drought was intended to bring the people back to the Lord and in an epic moment on a mountain, the people are back. Their hearts are turned back. At least they are for now. And so as the chapter ends, black clouds gather, the wind rises, raindrops begin to fall. The drought is over. Because the people are back. God has pursued his people. He has taken the initiative with a crazy experiment. And he's drawn his people back to himself. He's realigned their hearts. And I know there are lots of details in that chapter, and there are lots of aspects of it that I have not homed in on. But can you please take away this verse? How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord's God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Or to, to echo similar words in Joshua, choose today whom you're going to serve. And so back to my opening questions. How's your worship? Is, is there any danger that it could be wavering? How's your heart? Is it devoted to God? Is there any danger it's dividing? Because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And may the fire that is, as God's word describes it, may the fire that is God's word fall on our lives afresh this morning. And may God's word, not mine, may God's word consume us.